0: Uh, my name is Billy Crane, as Ted said, and uh, I serve as the assistant pastor of Christ Community Church, and uh, I'm grateful for to, to be here. It is an honor and a privilege that you would let me come and bring God's word to you, and uh, I had the privilege of meeting Ted for the first time in 1999. Uh, I was an intern at a church in Jackson, Mississippi, and Ted was my immediate supervisor, so I understand what type of oppression and tyranny y'all are on. <laughs> so, no, I take that back. I, Ted was a wonderful supervisor and a good friend, and I'm so grateful for him, the ways that he's loved me throughout the years. We were both RUF campus ministers at the same time, and uh, he uh, ministered to me on many occasions when I was asking him just help for life and about ministry. Uh, he is a good man, and I'm grateful he's here. And I, I'm grateful that you guys are here. Let's well, double his cash money. <laughs> but uh, I am, I'm grateful y'all are here. Um, we as a church in Fayetteville have been blessed to have many uh, students, graduates from JBU have come to our church, and many of them have been in your congregation. In fact, I was having lunch today with a young lady. I didn't know this. I was telling her I was going to preach at Redeemer Salon, and she said, well, that was my church. I was there. So thank you for your faithful ministry. It's impacting uh, the lives of the students at the university, and they're coming to our church and blessing us, and I hope that we at Faithville will be a blessing to this church together as sisters. Do I need to get this up a little bit? Is that better? Can you hear me better? All right. That's great. Well, we are going to be reading uh, Psalm 16 today, and I will read the passage and then pray for us. Psalm 16, a a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. Nor take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall never be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad... And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is good and it is true and that it is powerful and that it is powerful enough to change lives. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use your word to change our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered what you would do if you were trapped or stranded in the French Alps? Well, I haven't either. But uh, But in case you're curious, there is a Man vs. Wild episode dedicated to just this issue. Uh, man vs. Wild is a survival show. I, I, I don't know if it's still running or not. I'm sure there are, uh, there are reruns. But in Man vs. Wild, the main uh, character, sort of the host of the show, if you will, is Bear Grylls. And they take this man and his cameraman and drop him off in some very difficult and desolate place. And he has to survive and get back to civilization. And in this program, uh, you, they, they, they start off by bringing the camera in upon him. And you can see that he is just walking on ice and snow. And he makes it clear that at that moment, he is parachuted in and landed in the French house. They're above the tree line. And as you watch him just trudging along, you can just feel the icy cold and feel the burning wind and the, the, the biting wind. And it's just, he's miserable and he starts talking to you. And all of a sudden he makes this comment that it's starting to get close to dark. And he goes a little farther and all of a sudden he stops and he goes, uh-oh. you see that? Storm's coming in. And what he does right there is probably what most of us would do if we were caught in a situation like that. He goes and builds what survival experts call a snow shelter. He goes and finds a really deep snow bank, and he begins to build a snow shelter. Now, there's a lot of things that I can tell you about this snow shelter or snow cave. I can tell you how it has to be built just the right size and proportion to his body in order to be effective. I could tell you about how he designed it so it would track the cold air in one part of the room and keep the warm air where he was going to stay in another. Or I could tell you about how he smoothed out all the walls in just the right way so that the walls would not collapse upon him in case something happened. But the main thing that you and I need to know from a story like this is that if Bear Grylls or me or you or anyone is stranded in the French Alps above the tree line after dark with the storm coming in, they're not going to make it. (coughs) They're not going to survive. They're going to die unless they have a refuge, unless they have a safe place to go like that snow cave to protect them from the trouble that they're about to face. And that is what Psalm 16 is about. Psalm 16 is about your refuge and my refuge. And the question is asking is, where do you go? Where do you go in trouble? Where is your refuge? Your refuge in the big problems and troubles of life and your refuge when you're facing the small troubles of life. And just so you know what what I mean when I talk about refuge, I'm going to give you a... A short definition: A refuge is a place that provides safety from some danger, hardship, or trouble. A place, or a refuge, is a place where you go to find comfort, security, and peace. So, a place where you find uh, find safety from danger, hardship, or trouble, or a place where you go to find comfort, security, and peace. And I'm going to look at Psalm 16 under two points. The first is false refuges, and the second is the true refuge. And so, let's look at this first section, false refuges. uh, In the first verse, uh, we see uh, that David says, Preserve me, O God, or keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. And immediately, I I just want to say, I find comfort from this. Comfort from this because uh, David is a person that's described as, as a man after God's own heart. And yet, this man after God's own heart is facing trouble, he's facing difficulty, he's facing hardship. And so I can take comfort that, that if he's facing trouble, I'm going to face trouble too. I think many of us believe, and in fact, many, t- many churches teach, that if you do everything just right and don't make any mistakes and make God happy all the time, that you're not going to have any trouble. That is not a biblical truth. The scriptures make it very clear that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to face trouble. Right? Another thing that I find comforting about this is that David speaks up. He doesn't pretend that everything's okay. He doesn't keep his mouth shut and say, no, I don't have any troubles. I'm just fine. Because he knows that he has a God who cares and wants for him to come to him in his troubles. He wants to be a refuge for David and for all of us as we face our troubles in life. And that's what we're going to focus on in that second point. We're going to talk about the one who is our refuge. But before we get there, I wanted to take a little time to examine our hearts. And the, and the psalm actually helps us do this in the first part. And think about what are the false refuges that we seek out when we face trouble or difficulty or hardship. Or we just need something that is not being provided immediately to us and we want it now. Where do you go when you're facing trouble and you're seeking comfort or you just want to feel better? What do you do? Do you seek it in another beer or another glass of wine? Or maybe a bowl of ice cream? Do you seek it in going on a shopping spree to try and make yourself feel better by the things that you're going to buy? Or do you just plop yourself down in front of the television and just watch TV for hours? Or seek some form of entertainment? And that refuge of comfort is found in one of those things. You're trying to find comfort in one of those things. Or maybe you're seeking a refuge of, you're seeking to find your significance in something other than the Lord. You're seeking to find your refuge in the approval of others. You want your family or your parents, your parents, your children, or uh, people whose opinions you respect, or people at the, the office to think highly of you. And you're committed to doing whatever it takes in order for people to give you the approval that you want in order that you might feel good about yourself. Or maybe you find significance in the fact that you're a good, moral person. Or maybe it's in how your family looks. If you can walk out into society and people think that you're a great uh, mother or father, or that you have incredibly well-behaved kids, that gives you a sense of significance and accomplishment. Those are false refuges, if that's where you're finding your meaning and purpose in life. Or maybe you just need a refuge of peace of peace and safety in the midst of the the problems you're facing. And what that is for you is, man, if I just had a clean house, when my house is clean, oh, everything is good. Or if I have the right possessions, if I have that car or the house, or whatever it is for you, that gives me a sense of peace and satisfaction. Or maybe it's your appearance. You think, when I look a certain way, that makes me feel good. Or maybe it's not the things you have, but maybe you have this refuge of, if only, if only I had people's approval, if only I had well-behaved children, if only I had a clean kitchen, if only I looked this way, if only I was married and had the, uh, the man or woman of my dreams, if only I had these things, I would be all right. I would feel good about myself. I would have the comfort, the safety, the security that i have long for. This sense of false refuge uh, really came home to me at one point when I was in college. I was in a class that had a year, a semester long project and it it went throughout the semester and there were different phases of it. And at one point, about midway through the semester, I was working on the project. At this point, I was kind of working in a room by myself and uh, there were other people around me, but I was focusing on this project and I was thinking to myself, you know, Billy, you're working pretty hard on this and you're doing a really good job. I wonder if anyone could do as good a job on this project as I'm doing right now. I bet nobody could. And I would love to hear someone tell me just how great of a job I'm doing on this project. And at that point, I was putting my hope, my value, my justification, and the fact that I was a capable person who could get the job done, and I wanted to find my peace and satisfaction in other people's admiration of me and my ability. Now, one of the things that this passage tells us as we look at these things, verse 2, it says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. No good thing. And I just want to let you know, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with people telling you you've done a good job. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with having having well-behaved children or being a good mom or a good dad or being excellent at your work or being gifted or enjoying the gifts that the Lord has given to you. There's nothing wrong with that. Where things go wrong is when those things, which are meant to be gifts and blessings from the Lord, become the ultimate things. When they become the things that give you your meaning and purpose in life. And what they've become are idols and false gods. And what the scriptures make clear to us over and over again is that idols and false gods that we serve in order to get something that we think that God is going to give, that God, that really we should only get from God, are cruel masters who are only going to make us miserable. The other half of that story I was telling you about, that project I was working on, I was sitting there working on that project, and someone walked up to me and said to me, Billy, you're doing an amazing job on this project. I can't imagine anyone doing a better job on this project than you. And about five minutes later, someone else came in. And same day, different person. Wow, Craig, what a great job you're doing on this project. This is amazing. I don't think anyone could do as good a job on this part of the project as you are. And you know what emotion I felt in that moment? Absolute terror. They had given me exactly what I wanted. The approval and praise, they had said it was, it was eerie. They said the words I wanted to hear. And I was terrified because at that moment I knew I could never fail in front of these people. I had to be perfect. If I kept going on this project and I made any mistake and they said to me, wow, not as good a job as last time, Billy, <laughs> I would be crushed. I would be crushed. I would be miserable. What happens if they go around telling people man, Billy does a great job on projects and other people have that expectation and they're like you know what, you're not as good as everybody told us you were. Miserable. Misery. Because that master was not a loving Lord who cares for me. And that's one of the aspects of it. we take good things and turn them into idols that rule and control us and they're false refuges. And so the, the script, this passage is telling us Don't go to those things as your ultimate refuge. Go to the Lord. And then as we move on to verses 3 and 4, and we look at what what it says in verse 3 and 4, it talks about the, the saints, those who follow the Lord, in contrast to those who don't. It says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And I really think what's going on here is, is David is setting up a contrast between those who follow the Lord and those who don't. And, uh, and he's looking at the way that those who don't love or follow the Lord live. And he's being tempted to follow after them. That he's being tempted to find refuge in sin. Because, I mean, think about it. Think about who David is. David is a man after God's own heart. He does good and, and he seems to have trouble following him all the time. He tries to follow the Lord, and if you know his story, people are always trying to kill him, all right? And they're probably thinking, hey, I'm looking at these people, I'm looking at those who follow after other gods, and you know what? Things are going pretty well for them. And I think if if you're a a human being, and you live in the world that we live in, and you watch any TV or listen to any radio or just sit around and talk to anyone, there is a constant, there is a constant... uh, temptation being sent to you to, to live a different way from what the Lord wants for you to live. And saying, you know what? I don't know what the Bible's telling you, I don't know what the Lord is telling you, but that's not the good way to live. Live this way and it will bring you the hope and joy and satisfaction. It will, it will make you happy. I mean just think about the ways that you experience in your life. I know that there are students in here in high school and college, and I know that there are young singles in this congregation as well. And it's easy to look at the way that the world does relationships and see how single folks do relationships in the world that we live and just get a little frustrated and a little jealous sometimes and think, man, I wish I could live like that. I'm lonely. I would love to be engaged in relationships like that, even though I know that's not what the Lord has in store for me. Or maybe you're in business and you think, you know what, Lord, I'm tired of being the honest guy. I'm tired of telling people the truth and I end up losing deals. Or I end up losing, making less money than I normally would on this deal because I was honest about this problem or about this situation. Or maybe you're a student and you go to school every day trying the hardest that you can. And you know there are people in your class who are cheating on the test. And in the, on their homework and they're making better grades than you and you're doing the best you can and you think, it's just not fair it's just not fair, Lord why is it like this? and this is really what Adam and Eve were being tempted with in the garden Satan said what God is offering you isn't as good as what I can give you here don't, don't listen to him listen to me, listen to what I what I am giving you but I can give you, if you would just choose to be your own God and not follow the Lord. And David tells you in this psalm, and, and I think reminds and encourages us themselves, what is the result of this? What is the result of following after other gods, of not following the Lord? It says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. It will lead to their misery. Now, one, uh, one of my favorite movies growing up, excuse me. I hope that was mine, is that right? All right, good. One of my favorite movies growing up was A Christmas Carol, or Scrooge, and it was the musical version, all right? Every Christmas, our school, elementary school, had this as a school play, and we would watch it on TV. And there's a scene in this movie and I, I think many of you probably know this story, but it's, it's when Scrooge is wandering around with the first ghost, the ghost of Christmas past. And he's going from different scenes from his childhood and young adult life. And there comes a point in the movie where uh, you see the young Ebenezer Scrooge, he's sitting at a desk and he's working furiously. And all of a sudden the door opens and it's Belle, his fiance. And Scrooge doesn't look up. And he walks straight up, she walks straight up to the desk and she takes off an engagement ring and sets it on a scale. And there's one of these, these scales that has kind of two sides, and you balance them out. And she puts a, puts a ring on one side, and then she picks up some coins from the table and puts it on the other side of the scale. And all of a sudden, the scale goes balanced like this to where the, the money's way down here, and it's a lot heavier than her engagement ring. And she says to Scrooge, she says, Ebenezer, you found a new love. When we were young and poor, we loved each other. But now that you're rich, all you care about is money. I had longed and hoped that I could make you happy, and I see now that I can't. I hope that this new love will make you as happy as I want to make you. And then she turns around, walks out the door, and Scrooge goes back to work. And if and the rest of that story, the rest of that show is about the misery that this man's life has become because he has found his refuge and his hope and money and nothing else. And I tell you that story not so that you'll look at people like that and go, oh, what a bad person. I can't believe there's people who do things like that. No. My heart's desire is when you see people finding false refuges, seeking out their hope and their joy in false refuges – that you'll go to them and say, no, 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 this is not where hope is to be found. Come with me. Let me show you the true refuge. Let me show you who Christ is. Let me encourage you to find your hope and your joy in that true refuge who is Jesus. But I also say this because if you're like me, your life is filled with these false refuges, with these idols that wreak havoc on your life. And one of the things that we are called to do is to root those things out. We are called upon... To identify those idols and seek by the power of God's grace to remove them. And I I would encourage you, there's a book I would encourage you, it's by Tim Keller, it's called Counterfeit Gods. And he talks a lot about this. And that's actually, this whole idea of rooting out idols in our life is really a sermon for another day. But what I want to talk about now is, who are we replacing those idols with? What does this passage tell us about the one true God, the one who is the great refuge? And that's what we're going to spend the rest of this psalm talking about. It says in verse 5 and 6, As we move, this is my second point, the true refuge. It says in verse 5 and 6, it says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines, or the boundary lines, have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The Lord is the one who is my portion. The Lord is the one who is my beautiful inheritance. And for the the original audience, for the Israelites who would have first heard this, when they heard things about boundary lines or or lines or portions um, or inheritance, what they would have thought about was the land. you know the story of the Israelites? Uh, They had spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt as slaves. And then the Lord brought them out of that place and brought them into a land and gave after spending 40 years nomads in the desert and then gave every one of these former uh, families of former slaves and nomads a piece of land, a piece of land that would be theirs forever. If they sold it, there was a rule that said every 50 years, the land had to go back to the original owner. And can you imagine how amazing of a blessing this would be in, a gra- in an agrarian society? You could work the land or you could lease it out to someone. You would, if you had a good piece of land you could and, uh, and took good care of it, you could always be provided for. Think about the security and the refuge that would be. And what this passage is saying is that was a good inheritance. That land is the Lord provided for you was good, but you know what? You have a better inheritance. And that inheritance, inheritance is the Lord himself. He is your portion. He is the one who's going to provide for you and give you the security that you need. He is the one, not the land or any other possession that you might have, that you should put your trust in. And so the Lord is our refuge and provides us security and meets our needs. And I think what's amazing about this is how it talks about the Lord is ours. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. I typically think about my relationship with the Lord in the sense of... I am the Lord's, which is very true. I belong to Him. But throughout the scriptures, the Lord allows us to lay claim to Him and to say, not just I am His, but He is mine. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my God. Think about how amazing it is that I can lay claim to the Lord of the universe, that He is mine. I want you to imagine someone just came up to you one day and said, hey, it's your lucky day. I'm giving you the Grand Canyon. It's yours. And I'm going to throw in the Rocky Mountains for free. What would you, that would be amazing. Could you spend, you could spend an entire lifetime and never, never truly see, appreciate, and understand all that is in the Grand Canyon and the Rocky Mountains, right? Those things would be an amazing gift. You have something better. The Lord of the universe is yours. He belongs to you. you. He allows you. He gives you the privilege of laying claim to him. And he's not some impersonal mountain or canyon. He is a person who says, what's going on? How are you? What needs do you have? How can I love you? And David flows right into this where he talks about uh, the Lord being his counselor. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. The Lord is our counselor. His counsel is good. He is a good counselor. And it is an amazing thought to think that when I have troubles, when I have hardships, when I have difficulties, I can go to the Lord of the universe and say to him, God, help me. Come to me. Come to my aid. What should I do in this situation? Have you asked the Lord that recently? Lord, what should I do? He will answer you. It's amazing. It's amazing to have a counselor like that. There is no one who would be a greater counselor than the Lord. When I was younger, um, when I was in elementary school, I'm sorry I'm telling so many elementary school stories today. This is, I probably need to graduate or something like that. Move on. But uh, every year we had a science fair, first through fifth grade. Uh, there is not a scientific bone in my body or in the body of anyone in my family. And I have four brothers. I'm the fourth of five boys. And my parents, who were wonderful parents, I mean, they would say to all of us every year, we don't know what, what you should do. And every year, they basically said, we have one thing. There was one project, it was the take vinegar and baking soda and put it in a bottle and put a balloon on top of it and watch it, watch it go Five children, five years apiece, exact same science fair project. That's what we did, every year. Or, or some variation of it that didn't turn out as good. But every year at the science fair project, there was, these, there was this brother and sister. One was in my grade, Heather, and the, and the brother, Scott, was in the grade above me. And every year, they would bring these projects that were amazing. And we would all gather around. And we'd be standing around Heather's project and we'd be looking at the tri-fold poster. And we'd be like, That's amazing. I can, did she split an atom? I cannot <laughs> believe what is to belong here. And I always thought, you know why they were so good? It's because both their parents are doctors. I think they were both eye doctors, but it's the same thing to me. They're both doctors. Real- eye doctors are real doctors. Obviously. I'm just saying, you know, I'm thinking like brain surgeon, and Eye doctors are real doctors. Like, their parents were doctors, which equated to me scientists. You know? Scientists. They had the best counselors available for their project. And it's like, I think instead of having their parents, it's as though we have Newton. Uh, we have Newton and Einstein helping us. The Lord is greater. He is the greatest counselor. He is the one who gives us more than we can hope for and provides what we need. And it says, even at night, my heart instructs me. And, and what it's trying to communicate there is that the Lord is always available. It's a picture of this man lying on his bed at night, wrestling with his thoughts, worried as to what's going on. And God's spirit still speaks to him. Who The Lord answers his prayers at night. Even at night, my heart instructs me, and it's the Lord speaking to his heart and instructing him. And I think we need to take comfort in that, that we have a God who will never slumber. There's never going to be a time when you're in desperate need and you say, God, help me. And he says, can I put you through the voicemail? I, he's going to say, what is it? How can I hear you? How can I be you?" Sometimes it doesn't feel like he's there, but the scriptures make it very, very clear that no matter what your circumstances are, that no matter how you feel, the Lord is with you. He hears you. He is never going to turn you away. That's the type of refuge you need. Because all those other refuges that we have been talking about, they will fail you. They will lead you astray. They will not be there when they need you. They will let you down. But the Lord will never do that. In verse 8 it says, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And this is really a picture of the Lord as our defender. That the Lord is before me. There is some trouble facing or coming toward me. And the Lord stands in front of me and protects me from that oncoming danger. The Lord is one who stands beside me. In the middle of my battles and my fights, he is right there fighting with me, right next to me. It's also a picture of him as our advocate. When we're standing in the courtroom and there's people who have falsely accused us, he stands beside us and says, this is my child. What you're saying is not true. He is beloved and loved by me. And sometimes, and and as well, when we are rightly accused, when there are bad things we have done, when there are ways that we have disappointed people, the Lord stands next to us and says, this is my beloved child. I know he has let people down. I know that she feels like a failure. And I know that they really have let people down and they really have failed. But you know what? My blood covers back sin. My blood protects them. My blood welcomes them into my family and says, they are mine. I will never leave them nor forsake them. And that is true of you, Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus, Whatever assault that Satan comes upon you with, Jesus stands ready to fight for you, to speak for you. And when Satan is right, Jesus says, he or she is mine, my beloved child. What great comfort, what great refuge that is. And finally, and I'll I'll conclude here in 9 through 11, we have this picture of Jesus also as a refuge from the ultimate trouble in our life, which is death. It talks about verse nine, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. And Sheol is a place as a name for the grave or where people go when they die. Or let your Holy One see corruption. And what these last verses are trying to encourage us is, and remind us is that not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. No matter what we face, even at the end, that there is one who is with us. And in the New Testament, the New Testament writers attribute this verse, verse uh, verse, 9, sorry, verse 10, to Jesus. It says, for you will not abandon my soul to show or let your Holy One see corruption. That Jesus, that this is Jesus who is pictured here. And the scriptures make it very clear that because of Christ's work, that when your faith is in Him, you are united to Him. And whatever is true of Jesus is true of you. And so, as He has resurrected and He will be ready to live for eternity, so if your hope and faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, you can rest secure because you are in Him. And if He has not been left to decay and you are in Him, you will find life after death. And you will really experience even that resurrection life now. In him, and it will carry on for eternity. And so, as we conclude, I I just want to ask you to ask yourself where do you go in your times of trouble? I've listed a lot of ideas, a lot of thoughts, but also, what are the troubles that you're facing right now? Think about your life. Are you having financial trouble? Are you upside down in your mortgage? Or are you facing illness? A physical illness for you or in your family. Or maybe you're having to deal with the death of a loved one. Someone you love right now is dying. Or maybe your marriage is dying. You and your spouse hate each other. Or maybe there's just something in your marriage that that you, you, you love each other, but there's just these tense spots, these tensions that you just can't get through. Or maybe life just isn't the way that you always hoped it would. When you're facing those things, when you're experiencing those troubles and problems in life, it is our sinful nature to run after those other gods, those other things, and to put our hope and trust in them. And what Jesus says to you and I, is I know your troubles. I know your hardships. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Put your yoke upon me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is Jesus wants to give you rest. Run to Him. Run to Him in in His Word. Run to Him in prayer. Run to Him in the body of Christ, to your your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in place. They want to, we want to help you bear these burdens and be Christ to you as we pray for you, weep for you, walk with you. That's the way you experience Jesus a lot of the time is through the flesh and blood of those around you as they mourn and weep I pray that for this congregation, that you would be those who would bury up each other's burdens and love one another. Because you truly can be a safe place, a refuge that is a beautiful and safe place for each other to experience. May that be so. And may you look at those false refuges and flee from them. Now, if if you're someone in this room who, who does not know Christ, who wouldn't call him your Lord and Savior... We are grateful that you're here. I'm so glad you're here tonight. But I do need to ask you a very pointed question about the false refuges that you're seeking. How are they working for you? Are they bringing you the hope and the joy that you long for? Or are they making you miserable? If you're like me, when I go to someone other than Christ to have my needs met, they make me miserable ultimately. They give me joy and pleasure for a season. But then, it's gone. My encouragement to you, Christian, my encouragement to you, if you are not a follower of Christ, is that you and I would find our refuge in the only true refuge in Jesus. Please run to him. Run to him now with your needs because he longs to care for you and meet you in, in wherever place you're at. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a refuge that you are our refuge and that you love us dearly. We thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us if our hope and trust is in you. And that despite our failings, that you will never fail us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness in the midst of our faithlessness. Thank you that you are our refuge. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray.